0: For August 1st, 2022, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 735. You have to understand me. I'm Lloyd. I'm the worst. it's overthinking it where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out and talking about the things that we enjoy. We enjoy them more when we uh enjoy them together or uh when we uh enjoy together time about them after uh after the fact. I mean, we don't ever have the communal experience of going to the theater anymore. Do we, Pete? Oh, that's Pete by the way, and I'm Matt. That's Matt and I'm Pete. I'm Pete, and that's, I don't know who's who. We Matt, don't even have names.
1: Matt, I still go to the theater sometimes, but not with you. It breaks my heart.
0: I know. We don't have the community. You know, the theater, the, the flickering images of the the, uh, the cinema uh, used to be the global campfire around which we huddled for warmth. Oh, wait, no. The giant tub of popcorn was what we huddled <laughs> around for warmth. Nothing like that tub of popcorn when it's just fresh and hot, when it just, you know, and you burn your arms burn the hair on your arms a little bit by by uh, by holding it, hugging it a little a little too too close to you as you start to shovel it, uh, start to shovel it into
1: your mouth. But you see, we live in a different age, don't we, Pete? I, no, Matt. I I got popcorn the last time I went to the movies. I just didn't go with you. I did. I went with my wife. You know, and we used to, we used to
0: like sit in the seats. You could sit in your favorite seat with your bike fist bumping left to, to right. You'd have a comfortable seat and you'd sit there with your friends, but we can't do that anymore. No one sits in a chair at the theater anymore. I
1: think everyone in the world saw Top Gun Maverick in the theater, Matt, except for you. No, you saw it. You saw it in the theater. (laughs) <laughs> I just didn't see it with you, man. I'm sorry. I, I had to move on.
0: Well the, the 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 point I'm trying to make uh through my, my inimitable brand of of anti humor <laughs> This is great. I love it.
1: I'm, I'm on board. I am riding this train, dude.
0: <laughs> is that we are? Uh, is that we are uh, talking about a Netflix movie this yes. week? And we all watched it separately yes. on uh, Netflix. But it's a Netflix movie that costs more than a lot of the uh, non-Netflix <laughs> movies. Really? A lot of the theater movies. It's a movie that costs two hundred million dollars. At least that's what's advertised. Really? It's a film called The Gray Man. Gray Man. And this is a film. About how no act is so depraved. No act is so venal. Uh, no act is so, so cowardly, so unpatriotic. No act is so bereft of moral justification. No act is so dark. Uh, no torture of prisoners so extreme that it will not be carried out by graduates of Harvard University. <laughs> All the bad guys in this movie went to Harvard. They were yes. like, they were all on the Lampoon or something yeah. <laughs> together. Um, this is a film. Uh, it stars uh, Ryan Gosling. This is really good. Uh, really good. Um, uh, kind of little meta dig at him when someone in the in the film calls him a Ken doll. Uh, this is a film that stars Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans as uh his antagonist as you know rival spies in a spy in a like super secret spy thing CIA but but secret uh begins with Ryan Gosling being recruited to the super super secret spy thing you know not not like not out in the lights not out in the In the what? In the, the, the blinding light, the clear, the clear white light of day, not in the darkness of night, not in the, the black absence of light, you know, the, the, just the, uh, obscure and, um, you know, sort of uh what, uh a crepuscular no that means twilight. It means related to twilight. What nocturnal uh you know, lack of light, but somewhere in the middle. He's like a he's like some sort of gray man. A man in the uh in the gray. Uh Billy Bob Thornton, a uh a CGI D aged Billy Bob Thornton, recruits him into the super secret spy organization where he is going to quote kill bad people uh and then he doesn't kill one bad person and this sets off a uh this sets off a you know lengthy series of events and he uh you know it turns out that the leaders of a clandestine unaccountable uh undemocratic you know um uh to terminate with maximum prejudice type of squad of assassins operating with impunity within the Central Intelligence Agency. Turns out they're not headed by, you know, stand up citizens. No, instead, they are headed by graduates of Harvard University. <laughs> And that's, uh, you know, and then, uh, as, uh, uh, Ryan Gosling realizes that the, the head of the organization is corrupt and he tries to take it down from the inside, there's a whole lot of pew, 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 uh, along the way. Pete, I think this is a film without a. Uh, within just a representative dimension, and without a any sort of like allegorical or you know metaphorical, without any kind of figurative dimension uh, at all. Am I wrong? What is this movie even about?
1: <laughs> all right, so I'll tell you what this movie is about from my perspective, Matt, because this is, of course, a movie where everybody in the movie, for the most part. It uh, just shoots people. Just, just sort of does it. Just, it's like, oh, it's it's ten o'clock in the morning. I got to go shoot some people. Uh, and if you don't shoot people, you're standing around in tactical armor waiting for someone to shoot you, right? And everybody's just sort of okay with the idea that like there's just tons of murder and it's always going to be happening. Uh, and and it's it's about you know, well, how how do these people function in this kind of crazy mute movie world? And and what are the true evils? Uh, in this in this crazy movie world, like what is what does it mean? What are the moral arbiters once we have moved into this area of of such a bizarre benchmark for everybody's behavior? And I will say one of the greatest acts of depravity is also my favorite moment in the film, which is, of course, by the reason to watch this movie. It is it is a line or two lines spoken by the reason to watch this movie. Chris Evans. <laughs> <laughs> who is just in this movie, I think what, cause the Russo brothers did it and the Russo brothers were handed a pile full of money and they were like, Hey, captain America, would you like a pile full of money? And he's like, I, I think I will. You know, I could do this all day. And he <laughs> <jumped in. laughs> but before I elaborate too much on what Chris Evans does in this movie, because we have a podcast and we'll get to talk about it plenty. I will talk about my favorite moment, which is it, one of the many uh, scenes where Chris Evans is in a room where not a lot is happening and the camera is pointed at him and he is reacting to other things that are happening elsewhere in the story, which is code for uh, Chris Evans doesn't have to do a lot of shooting days. I right? like to do this movie. Um, and uh, somebody comes to him and gives him some news, right? Uh, the exchange is that one of his many henchmen is come to him to give him news about his situation, something that has gone well. And then he turns and he's going to direct someone else who is, he's is going to treat in a patronizing manner to do something, you know, petty, right? Uh, and so the the line is, that'll do, pig, that'll do. <laughs> Followed by, Goldilocks, be a lamb. And <laughs> so the thing I love about this is in like five seconds, Chris Evans mixes up three different animals. Uh-huh. He, goes, he starts with the pig, uh-huh. and then he goes to the three bears uh-huh. from Goldilocks, and then he... Uh, He mentions a lamb, right, Uh, which is, of course, a sheep, not in any of those other stories. Uh, So mixing metaphors and figures of speech is one of the great heinous things that the Chris Evans character does, because in other movies, There are characters who are villains who might be identified as, you know, oh, he doesn't feel pain. Oh, he's the most dangerous man in the world. Like, oh, you know, this woman, she she, you know, lives forever and she can use dark magic. Uh, Chris Evans's character description is basically like that's Lloyd and he's the worst right? <laughs> He's the worst that the CIA ever had. And that means everything. It means he was the worst in terms of being very inhumane, being very abusive of power. Uh, but also he just does everything douchey. He's a huge jerk. Uh, another another example of this kind of highlight is when he uh, he says, let's I think you think at one point he says, I think I wrote the quote down. Uh, let's let's hit that meatball like a freight train. Uh, is another one <laughs> in mixed, mixed metaphor. <laughs> he just he has he has all of these like venal things that he does through the movie that are annoying or douchey or like just really just crass or lame. Uh and uh calling calling the uh assassin, the kung fu assassin he brings in from the Indian subcontinent my sexy Tamil friend. Tamil friend. Does he call him Tamil rather than Tamil or something like oh, that? Does he yeah, yeah the- <laughs> My that character yeah
0: that that character the the I don't know orientalist assassin honorable I have a lot you know. to
1: say about him I think he's really interesting but but I don't know what you had to think about the orientalist assassin in this movie Um yeah it's uh the
0: the one that I liked was uh the one that I liked was actually happened in a flashback when okay. we're establishing the emotional stakes of the movie which is that Billy Bob Thornton has a niece not a yes. daughter no one really can have family in no. this uh in this no. movie like actually part of the wages of the wages of sin are uh not getting married i suppose right. the the wages of like being uh inside this super secret spy world is that you can't really have relationships because relationships make you vulnerable and right. this is like this is chris evans's uh evil chris evans's with uh, what what is it called in the film his trash stash yes. uh you know <laughs>
1: He is Lloyd is the worst. <laughs> he has a trash stash. Lloyd Hansen, yes. how did you know? Well, I saw the trash stash. Um yes. by the way, he has a mustache in this movie, like a like a nineteen twenties mustache. Right? Like it's it looks terrible. Anyway, sorry <laughs> to it it yeah, It's not a
0: great it's not a great look for Chris Evans. Yeah. Um yeah, the, the, uh, the emotional stakes of the movie are established when, uh, early in his, or, you know, at least sometime, you know, previous to the action of the movie, uh, in his career as a super secret spy. And they don't have names. They don't have no. names, Pete, the spies. He's known in, in the
1: his... system, Matt. You don't get a name. <laughs>
0: the, the, uh, oh, yes. In Except death, for- <laughs> in death, the member of Project Mayhem <laughs> has a name. His name. Is, I, I forget what it is from Fire Robert Club. paulson his name is Robert paulson. Yeah. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert paulson no uh his he's referred to uh Ryan Gosling's character is referred to as Sierra Six or just six yes. for short, and so uh you know sometime previous to the action of the movie, he gets the assignment that because Billy Bob Thornton has to go do secret spy master stuff uh elsewhere in the world that uh Ryan Gosling is going to babysit the uh the niece because uh his address has leaked or something something yeah. you know ridiculous like that and so the they they don't relocate no why would you relocate why would you, no you you uh just stay where you are but you uh put Ryan Gosling uh on the post 6 you know and uh right before the inevitable you know close quarters fight with the um close quarters fight with the assassin come to uh, kill the niece in the, in the, the flashback. Um, uh ryan gosling sees that the the video feeds of the security cameras are going out realizes that stuff is about to go down and uh sends the girl to bed uh by saying you know go you know go to bed and then the the like the nanny or cook or caretaker or housekeeper or, or whoever she is the woman who's who is kind of the house manager you know says yes yes go to bed listen to the number and that uh <laughs> that was my my favorite oh, man. line in the and and you know I mean there there were moments of I I think if the if the film has a any sort of ingenuity or if it has any sort of like levity or wit if there's any sort of joy in the construction of it it is in putting together just some of the slightly non sequitur or slight or or, you know pathetic or kind of like tonal left turn uh dialogue uh of it all which was you know which is
1: uh, uh some of which was enjoyable So to elaborate on what you're talking about with the uh, the kindergarten cop subplot, right, the pacifier moment that happens in this movie, the movie is structured like an anthology to start out with where you get a big name of a city. And then there's basically a short film that changes and elaborates on your understanding of the world of the movie and who the characters are, at least through the first two acts of the movie before then the end of it is just a big fight. But uh, but I, it, I liked that. I think I would give the movie a little bit more credit. I would give the script a little bit more credit, because one of the things about this movie is I'm not sure that it was made in such a way that it accentuated the things about the script that were good or interesting. But that's also another case where in watching this movie, I began to imagine a version of this movie that I liked a lot more uh, that I believe starred a young Steve Martin and would have been <laughs> would have been, uh, I think, a, uh, a little bit more tonally different. But the thing that to me was interesting about the pacifier subplot is that you hear about six, right? Sierra six. I I did like, I thought in my head, in my own head canon, this system is called Sierra because it's like an innovative and creative and kind of cool thing like Sierra games were that is like hopelessly, hopelessly obsolete and like out of business. <laughs> <laughs> and that like a few people are still kind of hanging on to. And are like, no man, we're going to remake King's Quest. It's going to be great. And if you go out there, you can find those people and they are indeed remaking King's Quest and it is going to be great. But uh, but yes, like Sierra for me, was felt sort of like Sierra gaming. But the point being that like, this is a suicide squad kind of movie where they don't have superpowers, but they're high. You know, Ryan Gosling is hired by the government from prison to go and like do the jobs that nobody else will do. And you know, he's going to, and he's the gray man, which implies that he has no identity and he has a number instead of a name. Right. And, uh, and, and there's this expectation that this is going to be a kind of dark and noirish movie about a dude with no identity who is kind of going through this sort of perfunctory world of violence. But instead, they almost immediately start layering on humanizing and kind of meaningful dimensions of his life that are both of a large scale and a small scale, not just his life, but like everybody's lives. Like These are people who go by aliases, who use numbers instead of names, who have no families, who travel to a different city every day. They're constantly shooting each other and blowing things up. And, you know, they can't have any attachments. But, like, there is a, a relatively unironic, though figurative, conversation about aluminum sighting that takes place at one point. Like, the little code uh, language that they have to exchange at different times, like, is small talk conversation sometimes. And, and in these little moments and other moments, you find out kind of little quirks and little personal dimensions of each of the characters. Till you get to the point where you realize, like, Six, just because his name is Six, doesn't mean that he doesn't have a personality and he actually has a personality and most of what's interesting about him is his personality he has good taste in music he's kind of funky he's kind of gender progressive he's into a little soft SM, but really with consent that movement was actually really interesting maybe we should come back to that one but but for the kindergarten couple and that really rolls it out where it's like oh man this is a guy with no attachments who cares about nothing. And he has to figure out whether he's going to take this information about, you know, the shadowy agency or whatever, and and take it to somebody. Oh no, 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 no. Like he actually really likes his boss. (laughs) The guy who hired him, he like, not only does he like him, but he like, likes his family and and like hangs out with them on the weekends. Right. Like, and, uh, and he's Ryan Gosling. So he's like a nice guy. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are definitely movies where Ryan Gosling's not a nice guy, but this is not one of them. And even though he murders a lot of people, um, yeah, But and he that, does it. Yeah. He does it
0: in a nice way. He murders people yeah. in a nice way. You know? There's
1: literally a scene in this movie where he's about to murder two people, and he's in the room with the little girl, and he like put and he hands the little girl earplugs, <laughs> so that little girl she's like <laughs> 15 and 16 years old, so that she can put the egg earplugs in her ears. He's just so it's like it's about him being nice, right? Um, there's another moment where uh, Lloyd is talking to Billy Bob Thornton and talks about how much he hates cats. And it's like, who likes cats? And Leon Thornton's like, I like cats. Because <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd is the worst. Lloyd is the worst. So that's that's my theory for this movie, is that this is a movie about jerks. Uh-huh. That The Gray Man is a movie about jerks. And as the movie goes on, everybody starts out with no moral reality. We, I mean, it's brought up multiple times that we are in like either – German continental philosophy, or you know, straight up French existentialism. There are direct references to these pessimistic philosophies to, to like Schopenhauer. Well. Uh, yeah, yeah to Chris Schopenhauer. Evans
0: qu- yep. quotes Schopenhauer. Yeah,
1: yeah, and 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 then Ryan Gosling almost quotes. Uh, uh, is it Camus or Sartre? I forget which one said one must imagine Sisyphus happy. Um, Almost. I mean, he, you know, it's
0: the, this is also in that same flashback when the, when he's kindergarten copping, when yeah. the girl, when the, uh, the girl asks, his protectee asks him, what's that Greek word written on, you know, tattooed on your arm or something? He's like, oh, it's the name of a Greek guy. He had to roll <laughs> a rock up a hill.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It is It is Camus. And it's very,
0: uh, it's very, uh, it, it's very clear that he's talking about himself. And he says, uh, you know, does does he ever get the rock up the hill? And and Ryan Gosling's answer is, I'll let you know.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> does he ever get the rock up the
1: hill? <laughs> and so like everything they're doing is pointless, right? All of the spy shit they're doing. I'm oh, sorry. All of the spy stuff they're doing. <laughs> is uh is is ultimately pointless and uh it does not have a purpose in and of itself but they have choices within the context of the spy things that they are doing to either be a jerk or not be a jerk about it <laughs> and uh and lloyd is a huge jerk about it in every conceivable way right uh and and, uh, and six is not Six is like relatively polite,
0: and the the know? boss, the the other Harvard guy, Reggae yes. John John Page, the the count of uh, the count of Richardson or yes, uh, whatever yes, yes. he is, you know, is the uh, is also a jerk. is a huge is a huge jerk, but he's more of an officious jerk. You know, at yeah. least at least Chris Evans is is willing to do well. I mean, you know, I I do agree. He spends a lot of time in the control room, like he he was. <laughs> You know, he was, sp- he was hired for, for like, uh, five days of shooting in various control rooms or like automobiles or, you know, interior, interior sets. Like, it's funny to me when they do a big title card to establish with, you know, drone footage that it establishes a city. And then like you cut in right away to an interior where it's like, you know, this is on a sound stage. Like this is not in the, in the city that, that you're in, but, um. You know, he, he was uh, he was hired to do that, that, you know, five days of of shooting uh, interiors. And then that fight, the final fight with Ryan Gosling, which took five weeks to yeah, shoot yeah. To, to this extremely long hand to hand fight that takes place in a shallow fountain for, yeah. you know, for whatever reason at the at the center of a hedge maze. Uh, right. you know, that, and if that's not a metaphor for, so, no, it's not, it's not a metaphor for, for anything. <laughs> the hedge maze is not identity. It's not, you know, the map of the choices that you make in life. You know, the fountain doesn't represent rebirth or death or anything. Well, it that, does represent something though. That fight ends in just the most <laughs> pointless way possible, <laughs> which is that a third character comes in <laughs> unseen and she shoots
1: <laughs> So, Matt, the fountain clearly represents toxic masculinity. Oh. Does it? <laughs> because it recalls the sink that Ryan Gosling's abusive father attempted to drown him in when he was torturing him as a child, which we get in a flashback while Chris Evans is attempting to drown Ryan Gosling in the fountain while he's being a huge jerk with a mustache. Yes, <laughs> like, it's uh, true.
0: It's true. Ryan Ryan Gosling, Billy uh, uh, CGI D aged Billy Bob Thornton uh, sprung Ryan Gosling from prison to, quote, kill bad people. He was in prison, uh, because he murdered his father in retaliation for, you know, br- uh, abusing him and his brother under the guise of what, toughening them up or right. turning them, turning them into real, real men. Uh, he was, you know, uh, waterboarding them and, uh, you know, roughing them up a lot. And, uh, and that's why Ryan Gosling, uh, we're, we're a real blame-the-victim type of society, and that's why Ryan Gosling's in prison <laughs> or something. I, I,
1: I want to point out another thing about this movie as the set, the setup. The intersection of the themes and the subject matter is clunky at best. I think that might be the most amusing thing about this movie because you're saying everything is surface level. I agree and the way – but the way I would characterize it is this is a perfunctory spy movie, right? This is like a spy movie that it was decided ahead of time that it's going to be a spy movie and everything else that happens has to happen in the context of this being a spy movie. And not even like an interesting spy movie, like a spy movie with lots of shooting and uh, and not a particular amount of, of Spencer strangeness. But I think the, the ballsiest move in the spy movie – is probably putting the theme song in five <laughs> right? Like okay. talk about a move, right Talk about a move. I mean, I tell like the algorithm was was thumbing its nose in me at me at right in that very moment because like at the beginning of the movie, there's this like funky theme song in five that plays and I think where are they are they in are they in Thailand are they in Hong Kong? I forget where they are at the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're celebrating New Year's and there are sparklers. And so this I mean, anybody who has ever played a song in five played the Mission Impossible theme, (laughs) right? Like like the Mission Impossible theme is like the song or,
0: you know, Mars Bringer of War.
1: I mean, I guess if you're fancy, (laughs) I mean, maybe I suppose. But I feel like most people who play Mars Bringer of War earlier in their career as instrumentalists had the occasion to play the Mission Impossible theme. But maybe not. Maybe I, maybe I can be corrected. If you listen to this podcast right now, have played Mars Bringer of War, but have not played the theme to Mission Impossible in intercom- your middle school band or yeah. something. I feel like they
0: put <laughs> yeah. they put in Mars Bringer of War just to like you know just to to teach to spice up something you know. Yeah, they,
1: yeah. But, like, you know, the Mission Impossible theme is like, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. And so this theme song was also in five, and there was a sparkler that was moving across the screen while the theme song was kicking in, which is like a direct, I don't want to call it an homage. It felt like a direct machine learning response to the (laughs) intro to Mission Impossible, where Netflix is like, if we put something that is a direct reference to Mission Impossible in the first two minutes of this movie, then the people who like Mission Impossible will continue to watch it. Right. Uh, That's what that felt like. And then it felt like that whole aesthetic was entirely absent from the entire rest of the movie. The idea that this is a this is sampling. This is like a spy, um, spy movie that's going to be sampling bits and pieces yes, of other spy there's,
0: movies. And, and that's good. The, the, it's a spy movie with sampling and that, that like accounts for a certain hermeneutic exhaustion that, yeah. <laughs> that, that is happening throughout, throughout this movie. For example, uh, early on when Ryan Gosling has to get out of uh, Thailand or Singapore or Taiwan or wherever they are, uh, right, um, he, Uh, gets, he calls his buddy, uh, retired Billy Bob Thornton, now, now not CGI DH, now his, his actual age, and is like, uh, hey, I think these Harvard guys might be up to no good. Uh, you know, 10,000 men of Harvard, uh, want, uh, I don't know, want, uh, bribery today. The, the, uh, Billy Bob Thornton says, You know, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to set up extraction from this this spot that you're in, from this East Asian location, and, you know, go to this airfield, blah, 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 blah. And he gets on a cargo plane and he's being flown out by an extraction team. And, um, oh, uh, gosh, the last extraction team I had was a dentist and two hygienists. Am I right? <laughs> uh, this seems like a walk in the park in comparison. So, the, we were. So this this happens. Uh, meanwhile, Billy Bob Thornton's uh, d- daughter, the, uh, she of, of kindergarten cop protectee fame, gets uh, kidnapped in order to uh, squeeze Billy Bob Thornton and make him give up six. I, I mean,
1: I've, I can't believe the words that are coming. Just out call of my him mouth. Ryan Gosling. His name is Ryan Gosling. <laughs> the, Ken doll. Uh,
0: the Ken doll. And he, yes. uh, you know, so in midair.
1: Jason born again, you can call him that. <laughs>
0: in midair right uh billy bob thornton calls the head of the extraction team uh the dentist uh and he says dentist yeah we thought uh we were extracting him actually i want you to kill him and uh You know, Ryan Gosling is sort of prepared for this. Like, there's no, like, sense that, there's no sense that, like, he's surprised. There's no sense that he had expectations or that he was, you know, resting and, like, is resentful at being roused from a nap. You know, there's no, they just go into a, a sort of visually incomprehensible fight in a plane, which, you know, starts crashing in the middle of the, uh, in the middle of the fight, um, get, gets a, you know, decent point break moment, uh, Mm -hmm. sampled from point point break, um, jumping out of the airplane without a parachute, uh, and grabbing a guy who has a chute, killing him in midair and, uh, you know, going down to the, uh, you know, falling down to the, to the ground. And, uh, you know, wh- when Billy Bob Thornton calls uh, again, or he calls Billy Bob Thornton back, it's, it, you know, there's no sense of like my, my mentor, you, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> Abba, Abba, uh, uh, what, a Eloy right? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. What, Absolutely. What, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, no none of that it's just uh you know it's just hey how you doing fine it's
1: because he's cool about these things. <laughs> i've been better
0: <laughs> i've
1: <I'm laughs> been better be, he's not gonna make it weird <laughs> but, that, like,
0: but he's but the idea the idea that you live in a shifting you live in the gray yes right um you know what's white a page you know what's black ink words that produce (laughs) meaning you know if you live in the gray if you live in a soup of just uh undifferentiated you know kind of like i like i like sample i like sampling because it really is it's an arrangement of elements uh that that don't in in themselves uh right that don't in themselves rise to the level of like an act of signification you know in the in the uh Early structuralist sense of, of, you know, a signifier and a signified. Um, but then the arrangement that the, the, either the kind of the itinerary of samples or the kind of the inventory of samples is supposed to produce meaning. Um, but you get the sense that they were gra- you, you just get the feeling whether or not this is actually the case. The, the impression is that they were, as you say, kind of grab bagged by a, by an AI, you yeah. know, like trying to do these things. And like, it's, so the, the, the thing about this is it puts the characters in a world, right? It puts the characters in a world where they, and this is like the spy, I guess I'm, I'm sort of developing my own theory of like what the kind of the figurative dimension of this film is. Um, it's not satisfying, but it's at least a theory, right? Um, (laughs) say, say what you will about my theory. At least it's a theory. The, the, uh, uh the the world is so absent any kind of complete signification anything that really has meaning a stable meaning that you can uh hang your hat on like my mentor will not betray me in midair <laughs> <laughs> Literally in mid flight right and that the 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 characters have to react to this world where there's where everything is just shifting sands all the time and there's really no orientation and i suppose um what I took to be a sort of visually highly turbulent um you know i i i mean i'm I'm the person who calls out a lot of uh a lot of contemporary action you know cinematography per, for being visual gibberish but like man this is some visual gibberish right this is some uh like it is not clear what the relationship of shot to shot is in the cutting relationships as they're you know it's just it's just kinesis it's just like it's like sound and lights and pretty colors i feel like i'm i'm like in a crib looking up at a mobile uh like just flashing light and making noises uh, at me, you know. Um we we actually turned the volume way, way, way down on this movie in the and I don't feel like I suffered a great a great deal for that because I, I imagine the sound design was sort of near constant um you know, just near constant barrage of sort of sounds of various various kinds, hail of gunfire, uh, you know, screech of tires, roar of engines. Uh, rain uh, there's not a ton of rain but like uh, I, I mean it seems like that's something that the algorithm should have put in like you know uh, rain um Washing, I don't know, washing people clean of their, of their many sins or something. The, the, uh, you know, if you have to live in this world where there isn't any stable meaning, it's just, it's difficult to like get enough of a handle on anybody to, to really care about them, you know? And that's like, uh, that's, I, that's I, one thing that the, the Marvel movies do well, speaking of the Russos, right? Is that like you do spend the first, Half to two thirds of the movie having a, you know, an emotionally resonant story where you can like care about people where you can uh, you can, you know, I don't know d- 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 Get your, get, get stuck in, you know, you can hang your hat somewhere. And then, you know, in the last third, where the, the tiresome barrage of CGI punching happens, you at least have some investment, you know, in the outcome. But this, it's just the, the, the barrage starts, uh, from the, from the very beginning. And I guess, I mean, I guess this is a metaphor for the for the world of shifting allegiances the fact that the camera you know the camera is never never still is always like CGI or drone flying you know through the fireworks through the pew 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 hail of gunfire through the wreckage of the plane as it's exploding and crashing to the earth through the debris you know through the smoke so many kinds of smoke I read a a review a very snarky critical review of this movie that was like well you know all the fight scenes are different In one, they fight in gray smoke. In another, they fight in pink smoke. (laughs) In another, they fight in green smoke. In another, they fight in the smoke that's actually the gun, the, you know, the smoke from all the gunfire, all the kinds of, uh, All the kinds of smoke. All the smoke, Pete. Uh, Anyway, I've said a lot there. Let me just throw to you and you take it anywhere you want. I'll jump in
1: because I, I had a similar sort of feeling about this movie, but along slightly different lines. Same general gist, though, which is that as an action movie, the biggest weakness of this movie was the semantics of the action sequences where it was not, I wouldn't say clear, but it was difficult to, to even overlay onto them a sense of meaning. Uh, and and I, you know, I'm a big fan of very stimulative and often complex action sequences. And I always seek out these geometrical organizing principles, these ideas in the visual storytelling of the action sequence that create, you know, that are patterns, right, that uh, can can elucidate some sort of purpose for them or poetry for them, or lyricism for them and and as visual art, as they relate to the textual art that surrounds them, as they relate to what they mean for the characters who are in them. And I really struggled with this movie with doing that. Now I can speculate that sometimes I feel like, yes, the auteur or whatever, whoever decided to make this scene, whatever committee did really did put into it a lot of thought about how it was storyboarded and, how what what sort of visual ideas it was communicating, you know, and the the big example that I always like to bring up other than you know cars can't fly from fast and the furious and then the cars jump out of a plane right the the car jumps out of the comes out of this the skyscraper the tall or, building in Abu
0: Dhabi or something yeah like that, exactly
1: right? exactly or like in Star Trek Beyond where Captain Kirk is feeling directionless out in the vast distance of interstellar space and then he also has to kind of have a fight while he's in zero gravity in the middle of a rotating system with an atmosphere right um, and so like the, these sorts of ideas of action sequences that have a, a poetical component Another classic one is the scene in the Avengers between Iron Man and Captain America, both trying to save the helicarrier while they do so in completely different methods. Right, Iron Man is actually trying to, like, keep the engine turning and Captain America has to perform acrobatics and fight basically Nazis while he's doing it. And it elucidates a lot about the characters, the way that this is being told. And in this movie. You know, I learn a lot about what's going on when Chris Evans walks into the room, immediately demands a Vicodin from anyone who will bring it to him. And then when they ask him why, says, because I got shot in the ass, Suzanne. <laughs> right? like, it's like, OK, I know who this guy is. I know what he's about. And he's the worst. <laughs> he, is, he is. He's a casual abuser of painkillers. He insults people's pets to their face. Right. He has terrible trash mustache. Right. He. He. Uh, I believe what he, um... He complains when he gets water on open wounds. That stings, Ow. <laughs> he, he pretends to be hurt or scared in order to gain the confidence of children that he then holds at gunpoint. Right. Like he is he is a huge jerk. He yells at all his coworkers all the time. He like verbally abuses his female direct report, right? Or even though he was supposed to kind of be his boss because he's right. a chauvinistic jerk. Yeah, well, yeah,
0: because he's a contractor and she's actually a CIA agent, right?
1: Yeah. And then it's like, OK, he's in a fight scene. What does he do? Like, yeah, some of those some of the ones it's like, OK, you know, in this scene, he's going to do the sniveling thing or he's going to do the heelish thing. But most of the time when he's fighting, he's just punching. He's just being Captain America. He's punching people, stabbing people, using boxing moves, whatever. There's no at least what I was seeing. There's no visual poetry to Lloyd's action sequences that compliments or reinforces who he is when he's talking to people. And this goes doubly for the Ryan Gosling character, who uh, is, I really struggled to try to figure out what was even happening in his scenes, even when I knew what was going on. Like at the beginning, I think, okay, all these scenes have no light. Right. No, yeah, it's, it's
0: dark. It's so difficult to see. It's like, it's anti-cinematic in that, like, it's not, it's not the photography of things. It's, it's a miasma where the photography of things ought to be.
1: Yeah, so it's like, okay, this is the gray man. All the people are going to be in darkness and only their silhouettes are going to be lit. And that's how we're going to watch this movie, right? Okay, every scene there's going to be somebody with their head turned and you're just going to see the edge of their face. And this is a spy movie trope, noir trope, whatever. Um, and, And then it's like, oh, okay, so this is interesting. We're in an internet cafe. and all of the people who are sitting at their desks are dark, but they have like brilliant lights coming out of their headphones, which reflects like their internal life. And okay, so these, these people have internal lives even though they're in darkness. And okay, I'm seeing this. And look, Chris Evans, he, everyone else is dressed in gray, black and gray. Chris Evans is in like a loud shirt. So he's super bright, but he's dark on the inside. Both because of his mustache and his sunglasses make this sort of like dark center in the middle of his face. And also because he's Lloyd and he's the worst And then that like totally drops like 40 minutes in the movie. And you have these big action sequences in broad freaking daylight, which totally counteract the aesthetic of the first part of the movie. And then by the end of the movie, you have an action sequence that starts in the dark and ends at sunrise, which, again, sounds dramatic, but doesn't I don't understand the relationship. This is a movie that starts at night and then it's the middle of the day. And then I guess it's night again. And then it's the morning again. But like the morning again, it didn't really start with a morning. So like it had to have been a morning the first time. Yeah, no, it's like like,
0: it's sort of like day parts remixed. You know, it's not.
1: Yeah, I'm not following what's happening with light in this movie. There's a lot happening with light, but I don't understand it. And I don't know whether it's that people said it was called the Gray Man. And that meant that we had to make the lighting situations really like uh, ambiguous or confusing a lot of the time. Um, But that's not what the the script reads like. The script reads like, you know, um, snarky spies who are, you know, and kind of uh, having kind of petty conversations. It's a it's Tarantino ish in that respect. Right. Like everybody's talking about other stuff. Um, it's about Ryan Gosling trying to work through conflict with his partner in, in, in an effective and mutually understanding way. Uh, but yes, that was my main complaint. I, I was I was I'm, rack, I'm still racking my brain about what it means that he was chained to a bench. Right. Like, like he's at one point he's handcuffed to like a bench and like a public monument. Yes. And, and I'm trying to remember why that happened and I'm trying to remember what it it means. It happens because after
0: the, the first time that a a beloved mentor, uh, you know, sacrifices (laughs) themselves to detonate a bomb. Yes. Um, the, uh, he's, (laughs) I forgot that that happens more than once, more than once and (laughs) and take out a bunch of bad guys. Right. The, the, um, the first time he's kind of caught up by the police cause he's in the vicinity of the bomb and it's like, Oh, Hey, you know, he's here. Uh, he must have something to do with this. So he gets arrested by local PD, but oh. then they, uh, take him, you know, naturally as you do, they take him to a, um, a, a big open space with a lot of people. You know, I think yeah. that's you know their training.
1: I, I watched this movie less than ten hours ago, and I don't remember any of this. Right. Okay, great, excellent, yeah. Uh,
0: and a <laughs> and and then you know three teams of like commandos, you know, of like paramilitary uh of of like paramilitary operators show up to uh terminate Ryan Gosling with extreme prejudice and he right. uh a, and then like local SWAT shows up because a giant gunfight with heavy artillery has broken out in the middle <laughs> of the thing. There's uh there's like a Humvee with a like a heavy machine gun. <laughs>
1: yes and a dude with like heavy metal hair. Right. Right
0: <laughs> and then and then a bazooka. Yeah. There's a bazooka, like a, like a, you know, <laughs> rocket propelled grenade that yeah. blows up that. Um, yeah. And then, uh, a grenade, couple grenade launchers in the ensuing, in the ensuing chase, but he had just been, been handcuffed there to, you know, keep him in one spot. It was just convenient for the cops to lock him to the railing on top of a bench.
1: Oh, wow. So that wasn't like a torture situation. That was just like, wait here. Yeah, that was
0: just like, wait, wait here. And then, you know, and then an action movie breaks out.
1: Right, right. And then all of a sudden, like John Cena shows up in the middle of Fast and the Furious 9 or whatever. (laughs) is like driving an armed convoy down the middle of the street. Um, Okay, okay, okay. That makes sense. I mean, it doesn't. But it's it's like it, the the Ryan Gosling having the action see what's happened while he's chained to a bench in a big public place feels it feels interesting. It's like okay, sure, this is a scene that should tell me what this movie is about, right? Right? Like if it's Jason Bourne, then he's having a fight at a bench. Like the bench fight in Jason Bourne is like in the in the Bourne Identity is is a defining scene where because what you're doing is you're juxtaposing him into a, a scene of like public normalcy. You're saying like okay, this is a character who's really weird for some reason, and his situation is really weird for some reason, let's put him in the most anodyne and most observable of scenarios, a park bench, right? And and let's see what happens. Uh, and then what's weird about it will tell us what's going on in this movie. And in this one, it's like, its is it about contractual obligation? Because Ryan Gosling is just chained there while a bunch of nonsense happens around him that's like not very well organized? <laughs> or like, is it just, I mean, what I was thinking at the time was like, is this a movie about a bunch of things that a guy might do that are all like reasonably pleasant, and somebody's just ruining it? it like, oh, you know, because a lot of the things that happen, it's like, oh, he's walking by a fountain. He's like going to go take the train to meet his girlfriend. He's like on at a park bench. He's celebrating New Year's. You know, none of the scenarios. He's not actually doing any of these things. He's right. He, you know,
0: scenes. he's he's flying home.
1: Yeah, he's taking a plane home to see his family, right? Like all of the things that Ryan Gosling is doing outside of the context of him living literally, you know, I mean, not, not literally, but like so so obviously figuratively that they name check it in the story, like the life of Sisyphus, right? That he is like, he lives in hell, right? Like he his job is hell and uh, Tartarus specifically. Uh, but in this hell situation, he's just trying to do He's doing things that should be normal and they're just so facocta What does that mean? I guess, you know, other than just that he has to suffer uh, and, and what suffering tells you what he's what he's like. Um, the end of it is better. I mean, when we get to the last fight, we get to that wonderful scene of anti Captain America. Did you like that moment? That one was great.
0: I I can't recall. I mean, it, it did. It it passed through me, Pete, like the oh, yeah. like the popcorn in a uh,
1: like the popcorn. You're, in you're a not the only person tub. it passed through. So there's a great moment in this movie. <laughs> I've been to the many great moments in this movie that I just bashed where I think this is the one where Billy Bob Thornton commits suicide by holding up a grenade. Right. In, right in front of Chris Evans. And, and and Lloyd's first impulse, which he immediately does, is to grab the guy standing next to him and pull him between himself and the grenade. Oh, yeah, sure. He, <laughs> he throws the
0: shield. He throws the shield <laughs> yeah. down on the grenade. He
1: throws yeah. the human shield because Captain America is famous for jumping on the grenade. And this is and this, Lloyd is the jerk. He's the anti-Captain America because he forces the other guy to jump on the grenade for him. Yep. Um, This also is close to the time where he's like, you're making me destroy this historical building." <laughs> He's doing every terrible. thing. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> Stop making me damage his priceless artifacts while I insult my coworkers and dress poorly, n- say nasty things about animals, mix metaphors, confuse fairy tales, <laughs> and just generally bumble about. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, Pete,
0: g- g- give him a little. I mean, he went to Harvard. You know, you I mean, he wouldn't expect him to know. You know
1: about un- the I unity think of theme. For me, the the defining. Exchange. It's hard to say the movie has a Downton Abbey moment because it's hard to find any part of the movie that's more or less related to what's happening. But does, wait, 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 wait. I wanna,
0: wait. I want oh, to wait. I want to talk to the to the about the bench like oh, yeah, the, yeah. Nor- the normal thing you'd expect. um for that is the the normal thing that you'd expect is that that that's a scene about confi- not confinement about limited options about limited mm. scope right like someone who has all this training and can just Jason Bourne around and can you know I don't know take out you know three three people with a ballpoint pen and the, you know the other three with the the you know mechanical pencil and the same pencil case right like that's that person w- when you like strip their resources down to like one hand you know. Oh, and, le- and yeah. another hand literally tied behind their back, right? Like, what can that, what can that person do? The thing is, you expect that to pay in a way where, like, they find a way where the constraints of the situation, um, you know, are instrumental in getting them through the situation, right? Where there's yeah. something kind of, like, integral to the whole, and, and by, like, uh, integral, I mean, like, integrated or having integrity, like that, that the, the kind of the moment has a certain amount of integrity, but he just tries to, you know, fight a gun so he can shoot off his, uh, uh, shoot off his handcuff. And another moment like, like this is like at the end when, la- or, or sorry, in the, in the nightmare flashbacks to his child abuse, like when his father is putting out cigars on his arm or whatever, yeah. and he says, like, I'm doing you a favor because I'm teaching you to kind of overcome pain and not be controlled by it. And like, you know, as as psychopathic as this is like, OK, is this setting up a kind of mind over matter type of theme? It is not. reader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh It is not. But like there 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 are a number of things like this were just like the again, like it's like a, I, I like the I like the the. Idea of like an AI remix, you know, one of those, like, one of those things of like, uh, not even the good ones where the hood internet put together all the, the hit songs of the nineties or of a particular year into one thing. Like those are artful and those are, you know, crafted really well, but just like, uh, just like a needle drop every 30 seconds in another, uh, in another reference, right? Like that, that doesn't sort of rise to the, to the level of, of signification, but you were going to take a stab at it with a with a downton abbey with a uh exploding downton abbey moment yeah
1: so uh okay so i want to i'll say this and then i i want to point out two other things but first and I mean that that emerged from this right and it 's not strictly a Downton Abbey moment because they are talking about the main plot of the of the movie, and i 'm sure there are other parts of the movie that are good Downton Abbey moments. I mean any of the times that Ryan Gosling plays music for some reason would probably fit, uh, but I love the moment where is it Suzanne the uh, the spy who regrets somewhat that she went to Harvard yes. a little bit uh, <laughs> a little bit uh, has this big speech which is feels like it 's just out of. John Q. It's just like barking cops complaining about everything being terrible in, in a hostage movie where everything went badly, where it's like this is quite possibly the most spectacular failure in the history of covert ops. Yes. And this is this is right after uh, right, right after Chris Evans is like all teams report status and they're all dead. <laughs> like every single one of them is just xed out. And he's like, oh, and she's like the absolute most spectacular failure in the history of covert ops. And she says that it's so bad that it's going to be taught in the the Academy as an example of what not to do. Yes. Uh, and then and then uh, Chris Evans discovers that the uh, Tamil uh, assassin is still alive and is tracking Ryan Gosling. And he says to Suzanne, what I do can't be taught. Right. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and he says it like dead serious right at her. And the way I read that is like the things that makes me me aren't associated with whether I'm good at covert ops or not. <laughs> <Right>? like, <laughs> Like, you have to understand me. I'm Lloyd. I'm the worst. And the (laughs) things that I do are are not a product of anybody teaching them to me. They are like my own personal choices. They're my personality. They're who I am. But they're who I am as as the summary of what I signify while doing meaningless things, right? Um, And you can tell whether I'm a good guy or a bad guy based on the things that I signify while we engage in this meaningless conflict. Uh, And I don't think that's what the characters are saying, but that's what I'm reading it as. Right. What I do can't be taught because, you know, nobody goes to school to become a jerk like me. And and this kind of this kind of uh, reading to me, maybe then try to figure out the sort of spy game of it by trying to judge which characters were jerks and which characters weren't jerks, because it was going to be a pretty solid bet that at the end of the movie, the jerks would all be bad guys and the not jerks would all be good guys because it's the only thing that separates them. Right. Is like Ryan Gosling is the one who like has good taste in music. Right. And like when he lands on his girlfriend's or his coworkers car, you know, on the hood of her car, like tries to get off of it and like walk away from it rather than damage it. Right? Like um, all this other sort of stuff. Uh, and so the two things that struck me the most around that are, I guess I'll do the le- less interesting one first But the more fun one first, which is the Tamil guy who he shows up to fight them. And I'm like, oh, this guy hasn't done anything jerky. Like he didn't say anything backbiting or snide or sarcastic, but like mean spirited. He didn't like, you know, uh, take a handicap spot to beat him up in the hospital. Right. Like he didn't like, you know, come across a nurse and then like hit on her and sexually harass her on the way to like fighting Ryan Gosling. All he does is show up and want to do Kung Fu. And this guy shows up and I'm like, oh, he's not being a jerk. This guy's secretly a good guy. Right, like this guy's totally not a bad guy because he, mm-hmm. every bad guy in this movie is just needlessly petty and and kind of cruel and venal, <laughs> and this guy is just likes fighting, and that's in this world that's fine, that's just his job, right? And sure enough, he turns around at the end to be like, oh yeah, by the way, I have no reason to be here, <laughs> you know, like the, literally the only reason that I'm involved in this story at this point is because of money. I can get money elsewhere. This whole place is is a total facata situation. It's fubar. I'm out. Peace. Right. Uh, which is what you would expect, I think, from somebody who isn't really a bad guy. But the more complicated one is the relationship between Ryan Gosling's character and Ana de Armas's character, ah. I think. And this is, I think, the part of the movie where if you were making this movie again, I would really, really look at this relationship because I feel like it's the defining relationship of the movie, and I feel like this movie botched it pretty hard. Uh, because, I mean, in, in, at least in terms of the story, they're set up to be... Not only even love interests, like practically a couple, right like like they're driving around in the car together. the sure. nature of their conflict is the nature of relationship conflict where you know he has a feeling that he knows conflicts with what she wants, and he recognizes that the feeling itself is kind of a problem, but that it's his feeling. And so the thing that he should do in the relationship is communicate about it, tell her how he feels, but also say that it doesn't incur any sort of responsibility to do anything, right? Uh, is this just who I am and where I am right now and how I feel? And I'm just telling you because we're in a relationship and we got to work through feelings together, right? In this case, it's like, I would have liked to have saved you in that fight, but you saved me, which is fine. I appreciate being saved, but I am a super spy and I would like to be the one that saves you at some point. Not that you need saving. It's really on me. Right. And so like they have all these, they have have, like two of these conversations, which are just deep relationship conversations. And, uh, and the other one is the one where he, uh, he asks if she has a handcuff key, which is great because the implication, why would she be carrying a handcuff key in that kind of scenario, other than like, well, she has a pair of handcuffs and she has a key to unlock them because they're into light S but also consent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but the idea is like, she's, she's kind of a jerk, right? Like in certain, she's, she's like rude to him and brushes him off a lot. And uh, it seems to like, not be not like care when he's hurt. Sure. She's more
0: careerist. Like all the assholes in this movie are careerist, right? Like, And,
1: and the, and the question is like, okay, I'm being a little bit unfair because given her situation, she has every reason for these things to be bothering her. And, and I think that that's the nature of their relationship is kind of, are you being like this because you're not down with being like a spy with a heart of gold? Right. Or are you like this because you're underappreciated and and you're being kind of ill served by me in some sort of subconscious way because I see myself as a super spy and I don't make space for you in this relationship. <laughs> right. Like and. uh This culminates with her like running towards the chateau, carrying a a a backpack bristling with rocket launchers, right? Like as as she like takes on as much explosive agency as is humanly possible uh, in in her head on charge against Harvard authority. Um, But 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 the whole movie, I'm thinking like I can't really peg on whether this character is a jerk or not, like not whether she's good or bad, because that doesn't matter. What matters is whether she's venal. And is and is being a busy being a douchey um, or whether that's just they're just trying to work through their relationship. And sure enough, by the end of the movie, she's kind of a bad guy, right? Like she flips at the end of the movie. Sort of. I mean, she does try
0: to like uh, to work the new situation, right? She she tries to like work the new normal in order to uh, I don't know, in order to like keep her place in
1: the in the CIA. I don't know whether they're just being super optimistic about getting a sequel to this thing or like but yeah, she she gave the information she gets the information from the Tamil guy, right? She gets the USB drive. No, I
0: think he, it goes back it goes back to I thought it was destroyed by, by Count Bridgerton.
1: No, 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 it is. But like the the fight there's a fight scene between Anade Armas and the Tamil guy. Uh huh. Right? Oh right, and that—that's the one where he—he uh,
0: he, yes, he gives it to her. He's yeah, like, you he's know, not a jerk. He's forget, like, this, can... forget this, forget this. I'm out. I didn't yeah. realize who I was working for. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You know, money
1: isn't worth it. Bye. My, my
0: bad. <laughs>
1: yeah, and then she gets the the information, and what does she do with it?
0: Well, I, yeah, I think it gets taken from her when uh, when Suzanne uh, comes in and like cleans up the scene. I think yeah. that's where, I think that's where it happens. I think that's what, what, yeah. uh, uh, what goes on. So I, that, that must be it. But like, I don't know. There's no copy somewhere. It's digital information. The idea that it's in a, a gold doubloon. It's a, it's a USB drive <laughs> hidden in a gold doubloon.
1: If it goes back in the chest, they all turn back. Into By the US. way,
0: the, the, like the contacts, the, the information, the shape, the kind of the kind of hammerhead and like, Toothy shape uh, of the the USB drive with the kind of silver contacts of the USB drive's kind of data interface, right? Makes it look like the Spectre logo a little bit, mm-hmm. like the octopus, uh, the octopus comb, you know, right, right. of the Spectre logo. So there's another kind of remix, um, you know, great
1: great action franchise, great spy franchise remix for you. Yeah, but I guess I, I guess part of that is also if Ryan Gosling's character is Sisyphus then presumably he's had a bunch of different partners who are like this who all turn out at the end of the day to just cycle back into the system right like you get up the hill to a certain kind of culminating point in the partnership and then they all roll back down the hill and go back to where they started yeah and and i that didn't feel like it was given the opportunity to land with the weight that it was that they could have benefited from That it's like, oh, wow, because they seem to have a bond over the course of the movie, and then he just seems really profoundly indifferent to what happens to her, and she seems, like, pretty indifferent to what happens to him, too. Like, she cares a little bit, but not really, Mm. right? Um, They care about the girl, uh, but not about each other. Yeah. I I don't know. That also might be something the the AI decided, like, no, 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 like – that shouldn't happen. This you get is- the sense that
0: this is supposed to start a franchise? I mean, this is a series of novels, and I'm sure that, like, all the IP was part of the. Uh, was part of the deal. And, you know, you see that like in the sort of the, the major studios have these, uh, giant IP multiverse, you know, universe mm-hmm. multiverse sort of strategies going. Uh, and you see the streamers trying to do this a little bit. Uh, Michael B. Jordan in the, the Tom Clancy Rainbow Six. Uh, series on Amazon, like they've made one of them. I, I forget what it's called. They at least have the, they have the courtesy. They have the common decency to give him a family who gets massacred in order that you like feel, uh, you know, feel for him a little bit and understand. Though, like they need him to get to the pew, pew, pew. So like, to, you know, he's got to get over it real quick and not be too traumatized. Uh, And he's got to, um, yeah, get through, get the, get through the, the like, the grieving process, uh, super duper fast. But I, you know, you get the sense that this is, this is something that they want to do. But this is a hard R, right? Like the, the Gray Man is a movie where Billy Bob Thornton's fingernails get pulled out by pliers. Like this is not. You know, this is not something that's going to become a theme park attraction. It's not going to be like Ollivander's wand shop at the Wizarding World. You know, the Harry Potter Wizarding World thing at the thing. Like, come, come, have your own f- fingernail pulling out experience at the the Netflix. You know, the Netflix Park where where you too can participate. You enter the the shifting cinematic world of the Gray Man. It's just, it's just a giant. D- drum dryer, you know, and you're just in a <laughs> ro- rotary thing getting getting over and over. But I think that, I mean, I think that this is like, why else would you invest this kind of money into, into IP like this, unless it's, unless you feel like there's a much bigger payoff down the road, but like, you got to build out the universe a lot in order to, Uh, you gotta build out the universe a lot in order to do that. And I just, I mean, I don't see it. I don't, I don't see ever the kind of extensions, you know, the kind of like, uh, product line extensions, um, that really create the like the multi-billion dollar franchises being possible for this, like experiential or merchandising or, or, you know, any of the other revenue streams that, that go into like a Disney, uh, that go into, that make the Disney machine so successful at at doing what it does like I liked I liked Netflix when they were making 30 million dollar like niche dramas uh, for you know just every different taste you know that that like uh with the hyper specific genre descriptors and I I don't know I feel like getting into this getting into this uh business is is a b- bad business for them you know
1: I mean I'm telling you there's one there is one spin-off universe. That one of the streamers has going right now in our house that I am about ready to double down on and buy any part of it that they're willing to sell me, uh, which is that my kid is finally into Daniel Tiger (laughs) (laughs) and Amazon's got the Daniel Tiger, although I have to pay for a bunch of it. And it's like, dude, totally going to buy when when life events come up. That are gonna be hard for him to handle. I'm totally buying the Daniel Tiger episode about it. I'm <laughs> gonna watch it as a family. They'll do the job for me of explaining what's happening. Um, but yeah, it is interesting, right? Because there also, if you were to try to draw a picture of what the gray man looks like, it, it would be impossible. It's just Ryan Gosling. Right? Like there's no there's no look, there's no visual anything. The only visually distinct character in the movie is is. Died in a pool of his own blood in, yeah. in a fountain of, of child abuse. Yeah. And like, uh, um, I mean, in that in that it's so. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit baffled about what they could be doing with it or why it was so expensive. Was this do the people making this think that this was kind of a failure or do they think I have no idea whether this could be counted as a success or not, because I don't I know Netflix has been a bit on the ropes lately. So I don't know whether it's like, well, yeah, we had to pay a lot to get this, but it was pretty successful. So it was worth it. Or, you know, we ended up with this albatross of a project that took forever to make and it was really expensive. Um, and uh, and and, you know, we released it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, looking at the development information, it looks like the Russo brothers were only announced to direct it in 2020. So this was not a long process, but. Apparently, it was in in development hell for nine years before that. Well, yeah, but
0: they picked it up. I mean, someone else had it, and so other directors were attached. Someone I guess not even was, development
1: hell. It's just a totally different project. Yeah, right? was
0: gonna was gonna star, but they, yeah, they 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 picked it up. I mean, they they when they were not you know producing or sort of providing some money for uh, everything everywhere all at once. Right, which, yeah. by the way, was their other big movie this year that they were involved in, not as directors, not the you know the Daniels were the the directors there. The um, Daniel
1: Tigers, what? The Daniels Tiger oh,
0: okay, were gotcha. you know uh, were a director. Uh, were the directors like the of that movie, but they, they did, you know, they did a lot. And like I read an interview with them in, in one of the trades that was like, yeah, we just like, we just took their vision and nudged it like just a hair towards the more commercial, which, you know, honestly is you can do, you can do a lot by, by doing that. Anyway, Pete, I feel like we're getting, uh, we're getting to the, we're getting to the end of our time. So, uh, now's the time for a completely unrelated character, unrelated to the conflict we're having to come in. And shoot me in the chest. <laughs> Ow, that stings! Splash. <laughs> well, we watched the gray man, the gray man, so that you don't have to. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Pete, for a, a storied two hander yes. uh, on uh, on Netflix's uh, latest, latest, and greatest. It's been an interesting uh, conversation. I think about a, a movie that is interesting in parts. Maybe yeah, it's
1: no um, reminiscence. <laughs> it was an actively painful watch <laughs> Like You watched it twice you know, I did. Well
0: yeah The second time I mostly dozed um,
1: <laughs> What well, has that going for it Then <laughs> <laughs>
0: And just remember All bad guys go To Harvard uh, Alright we'll be back next week with more Overthinking a podcast till then visit us on the web At overthinkingit.com where we subject The popular culture to a level of Scrutiny It It probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve...
1: Was there an after credits scene in this movie? Cause it had like Russo brothers style, super elaborate end credits and I just couldn't handle it. No, it didn't. I,
0: I fast forwarded through the end and it, it wasn't, it wasn't there. So, uh, I guess that'll do Russo's <laughs> that'll do.